as we continue in worship, as we are in our second week of this uh, new series on spiritual warfare. You know, those of you online, you may want to review that. And any of you, if you go to our website, uh, you can pick these back up. If you go to mpcstparis.com slash sermons, you can get the audio. If you go to lead slash video or slash live, you can pick up a full worship service from weeks past. Uh, that you may want to just uh, remind yourself uh, with. And those of you online, I have that lower image, lower words wrong this morning. I apologize uh, for that. I'm about to change that. So I'll change slides and then we're in Luke chapter 10. For those of you online, Luke chapter 10. With that, it's where the Bible and the poems and tablets. But as we continue in this, it, it's easy to get caught up in. You know, I can easily read many books on spiritual warfare, some scarier than others. I can be reminded of my own experience within this battle. And we can lose sight. And sometimes we get so uh, so caught up in, in our notions that we forget some of the greater truths. I believe the saying is, is you know, uh, you get so caught up uh, in the, looking at a tree that you miss the forest. Among, where you forget the bigger picture of things. And so I'm trying in last week and this week to lay a good um, foundation of, of what we need to remember as we kind of get in the midst of things. But I don't want us, I want us to remember a couple of things this morning. One, life has purpose. You have meaning in this world. If there is a tool of the battle, and if, whether you are a follower of Jesus or you have yet to commit to Jesus, is, is the fact that we can easily forget that we have purpose and we have meaning. Either we think too highly of ourselves or too little of ourselves. But you have meaning. In fact, there's not somebody that you will run into today that does not have meaning. We are all created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created us. The very first words of Scripture states, not the very first word, really chapter 2. You have meaning. Your neighbor has meaning and purpose. There I say your enemy has meaning and purpose. Those who seem to be against you still have meaning and purpose. Not only is that true, but we need to have compassion. In our world where compassion is running on empty, we need to regain compassion for people. Compassion maybe even for ourselves. In a world that will try to divide us in many ways and make us against something, will make us be, look at somebody else in a, in a way that may, may see them as just their ideas, their thoughts. We need to have compassion. In a similar passage to what we have here this morning, we read these words in the Gospel of Matthew. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. 
Jesus looked at the crowd among him, and he had compassion on them. When you look at others, do you have compassion? Or do you get something else start to come up or swell up among you? As you turn on the news, or better yet, just don't read the news. Do you have compassion for those that are on the screen in front of you? When that checkout clerk isn't going quick enough for your liking or my liking, do you have compassion with the person that you're seeing in front of you? When that kid, whether yours or a neighborhood, is a little too loud, does something a little too disruptive, or says something very hurtful or painful, do you have compassion? You know, I think we need to regain the sense of who Jesus is. Because uh, this is kind of the hallmark of what he did when he went around. He had compassion on people. And it's hard to serve people when you can't see them as Christ sees them. It's hard. And if we're not careful, when we get into this battle, it is easy to see that we are right, they are wrong. And sometimes that is true. There is absolute truth. There is an exclusiveness to who Christ says he is. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. That is exclusive in the sense that there is only one way. But it is tremendously, tremendously inclusive in the fact that he says that anyone and everyone who believes on the name of Jesus Christ can be saved. No one is automatically out. There's a choice that we all must make. And it starts, I think, with you and I, as like Christ, compassion. Well, we are to be like Christ in all ways. And then as we get into our, our lesson this morning, and this passage this morning in Luke 10, 1 through 24, we read that, 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 that Jesus' followers were going to do exactly what he did. They healed, the demons fled when they invoked Jesus' name. I mean, that's pretty amazing stuff. But that shouldn't be too much of a surprise because Jesus said, you are, I'm, I'm giving you my abilities. I want you to be like me in all ways. Now, does that mean today that we're going to be able to do miraculous healings? Not necessarily. Okay? There's great debate in our Christian circles about some of that stuff. I have my own viewpoints. It doesn't mean that, that when you are physically sick, all you got to do is it is call on uh, the pastors and the deacons of our church and just have us pray and, and, and go in faith and never visit the doctor. No, that's not what Jesus is promoting here. I think we'll see that in a minute. You know, but what Jesus did, we can do to some extent. Why? We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given. And because of that, we have the power of Jesus himself within us to do what he is calling us to do, to live as if we have purpose, because we have purpose. We have a mission, meaning, and it's not just to be bumps on a wall. It's not just to exist. 
exist. I see many times in my interactions with others where many of us, including many of us uh, followers of Jesus, where we are existing and not living. In John chapter 10, which if you do our devotions, you know, you'll, you'll read this, you know, that Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, or I like to translate it, have it as it was meant to live. But many of us walk around as if we just exist, either because we are so waiting for our future promise, our future hope, that we just think, I can't wait until he returns. And I can't wait until he returns either. But you know, I can't get so caught up on his return that I forget that I have a purpose right now and it's not just to wait until he comes back again. And that's a fine line, I know. But because of my belief of the future things and what Christ will do in that future, I have confidence that I can go and live out his principles and his values and his mission today, wherever I may be. Tomorrow I have funeral slash gravesite number 14 for the year. I told Barbara I they don't have to love me so much to call me every day. Look, I like talking to them. They're great people. Great ministry. Great hearts for our community. Number 14. Why do I do those things? I'm really starting to not like funerals. Well, after about 20 or 36 and 18, 19 months, you know, you, you, you start to not like that. Though, in all confession, I'd rather do a funeral than a wedding, okay? And any pastor who's done that, we talk in our circles, we all agree. Weddings are much harder than funerals. All right? Uh, you know, funerals, people still play nice. Weddings, they don't. Okay? <laughs> well, it is. It, it's true. You know, people rather, uh, never mind, I'm not going to get on that so far, because it doesn't matter. That's why you need to pray for people like <clears throat> Shannon, who helps coordinate events and weddings, and if you need someone to do that, she's your person. You know, bless them. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Bless you. <laughs> no. But you know, it just, you know, but why do I do that? Because Christ walked into those settings. And I can only do that because I have, a, I have a confidence on who Jesus is and on what will happen in the future. That even in the shadows of the valley, in the shadow of death, life can be there. And sometimes that means you and I got to be there. Not because the people who are there know where the light is coming from, but because we are the lights of the world. We are many Jesuses. Jesus is the light of the world. We are a light as we reflect him. It needs to go into that shadowy place so that they can see hope rising from despair. Hope rising up. And so Jesus is getting ready to do something here. And we read the harvest in verse 2 of Luke chapter 10. The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few, so therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. In the midst of this battle that we are in, our first 
our primary, our most important weapon is prayer. That is our first, our most important, and our primary weapon. And we may not, must not forget this. This is one of the reasons that everyone, regardless of age, has a part to play in this mission field and in this mission of Jesus. Because anyone and everyone can pray. Yes, even you, Ella Rose, my little JJ. Yeah, I'm talking about you up here. Not Grandpa. Not worried. Any kid can learn to pray. Isla, Tessa, and sometimes they pray in ways that even we as adults need to sit back and go, forget it. They just need to pray on our behalf. That's one of the reasons, no, not all, but one of the reasons we have kids of all ages, from Hannah, who I believe is our youngest, to pray. Eliana really wants to pray, and I, I need to just have faith in Jesus, but I don't know what the girl will say half the time. You know, I just don't know what that girl will say half the time. Yes. I realized I said that last week, the idea of Alicia having confidence for breakfast, and most of you thought I was being too harsh on her. Just she has confidence for breakfast. She has confidence for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> and every snack in the middle. Okay? Um, you know, it doesn't matter if you are a five-year-old or you are 95, 100 years old. The most important weapon we can do is pray. Because prayer doesn't change God, it changes us. One of the tools of our enemy is that we can get too busy, we can get too involved in ministry to do what Jesus said first and foremost, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the one who is over all. Daniel reminded us of the sovereignty of God this morning as he prayed. A church which is not fervently praying is a dead church. Even if it is alive on the inside, if it is not a praying church, it is a dead church. It may take many years for it to quote-unquote die off. But the church that ceases to pray ceases to be the church again. And I'm talking about prayer, as, as Jesus says here, it was a prayer not just for the needs of those on the inside. We need to pray for those. Jesus said, as you love one another, so people will know. We need to love our own well, but we cannot just pray for the needs of those of us on the inside, but we must be praying about the harvest on the outside. I might take my statement about prayer a step further, and I'll reserve the right to bring it back another day. A church which is not praying for those who have yet to show up into the kingdom of God is a dying church. Because we must, and the beauty of this prayer, the beauty of this prayer is Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. I talk with Leland about every week about his beans, right, Leland? I'm always curious about his beans and his wheat. Not because I know what it's really doing. I get the premise. 
Now, now Leon, I'm going to ask you a very sophisticated question about farming, okay? Your beans are really, I'm going to ask you a couple. Your beans are really good this year, right? Or they appear to be? Yeah. All right. Um, so what happens if you never get out in the field to harvest them? You mean the harvest won't just come in? They don't, those beans just don't jump off of the, the stalk there and get into your hopper and go to the granary? No? Not by themselves. Not yet, at least. Maybe one of these days they'll get there. We can look out in his fields. We can look out as we drive all around us and go, the harvest is ready. The harvest is plentiful. There's corn on those stalks. There's beans in those pots. But they ain't going to get into the tractor by themselves. What, what a great hope of confidence that Jesus is right at the outset. As we engage in this battle, we know the truth is there will be people who will respond. God, as Jesus said, the Lord of the harvest says, go. Our mission isn't useless. We're not just going to do something for the sake of doing something. There is power behind it. And that's why we as a church must always be praying about the fact there is a harvest out there. And Jesus tells the 72, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. He's already laid claim to what is coming. And part of what the disciples are going to say, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I'll just remind us later. Part of what he's saying is when you go out to the harvest, you just proclaim Jesus' kingdom is already here. He showed up. Pray. Came across again this week. A list I made probably about five years ago. A list of all the kids in our church that I don't believe knew Jesus yet and made a profession of faith. It's kind of nice to look at that list and I can check things off. You have a list of people you're praying for who don't know Jesus by name. See, because if we start praying about them, we will gain the eyes of Jesus. We will gain the eyes of compassion for those who are on the outside. Some of you are here today because you have been prayed into this place today. One of the we have a mission for Jesus. He asks them to bring it. He says, go, I'm sending you out. Each and every one of us are called to go out. While we are praying, Lord, provide the harvest so more can go out. Every single one of us have a mission from Jesus. Some of us is to be the best water we can be and have compassion for our coworkers and bosses. Others of us are called to serve in different ways. I believe there are a few here this day who may be called into what we would call full-time Christian service of a missionary or pastoral church ministry or the like. We need people to serve God's people to remind us we're on mission. He says, go out. And he says lots of other things there. And there's lots there that, to be honest with you, I don't feel it is right that I preach on it because it's a little self-serving. So I will leave that to the spirit of God's wisdom and maybe one of the others who comes to preach over the next couple years will say some of those things. 
other than I would say this, we cannot see God's servants as only needing a wage, but there are things just as important, not more important, than financial resources. And I will move on. Our next weapon that Jesus says here is to serve others. Verses 8 and the following. He says, when you enter a town and are welcome to eat what is offered there to you, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come upon you. There's this idea they were to go to these towns and pronounce a blessing and the blessing comes back to you. You stay there and you, you serve others. You eat with people. In a similar passage from the Gospel of Matthew, though I believe Matthew's version and Luke's are two separate events, I think Jesus was consistent in what he said, but I do believe there are two separate events. There, we read that if you give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, that that is important. The goal is service to others. That's what the healing was about. That's what the casting out demons was about. That was binding up the brokenhearted that Jesus talked about. That's what it was about. So how can you serve others in our world? We need to serve one another. And when we do that, we realize it is not about us. Then we must go on from this service. We can't just do good works. Well, that is important. We must proclaim Jesus' kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Some version says, the kingdom of God has come near. I'm just uh, going to say this. You know, the battle is really about two different kinds of kingdom. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. The phrase kingdom of God is a very loaded phrase. And, and I don't have time. I've preached on the kingdom of God to try to give us a hint of what that is. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm happy to do this. I've done some little more in-depth study about the kingdom. I think it's important we understand the kingdom. But as we proclaim Jesus' kingdom, we're proclaiming that there is a ruler who is not the same as the ruler of this world. And I see what Jesus is saying here. Part of how I see what he says in verses 18 and 19. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This idea that when Satan was cast out, Jesus has always existed, okay? Uh, I want to make sure we know that. Jesus was never created, okay? I know scripture says he's the firstborn, which makes a thing created. He was not created. That's firstborn is a title of uniqueness, okay? He's always existed. He has seen everything happen. Okay? He, saw, uh, he saw Satan fall from heaven. And at that event, there was two kingdoms that started to wage war. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of the enemy, of Satan. Satan just means accuser, whether it's his real personal name, it's his function. Okay? He accuses. And if he can accuse you of something he thinks he has, and God says, I've got something else going on. And there is this battle waging. And when we proclaim the kingdom of God upon us, we are proclaiming that right now, there is a new kingdom. Now we in America don't 
deal much with monarchies anymore. That very rarely do. The past couple weeks, we have had that kind of thrust into our view as we have uh, seen and heard of the stories of Queen Elizabeth's death and King Charles' ascent to the throne and everything that happens with it. Gives us a sense of what a kingdom can be about. When we proclaim, when we hear the words, the kingdom of God has come upon you, I believe what we say is because of Jesus' first coming, the kingdom of God is in process. This proclamation of who he is, of serving one another, of saying Jesus is Lord, is a loaded statement. Because if Jesus is Lord, nothing else is. As we learn to ask you, Jesus above all else. And, and Jesus reminds us of this. And he reminds us in this that this battle is about the kingdom of God. And, and, and it's not about you and me. So when you are rejected, it's not really about you. It's about the kingdom. And if you are received, it's not about you. It's about the kingdom. Which means it's a lot of not about us. Exactly how the road you got it. We see this going on. We proclaim Jesus' kingdom. The kingdom says, right now, you can be saved. And right now, if you are in Jesus, you are safe and secure because of who he is. But it's not yet fully here. As one writer I read this week said, part of the mission that is happening here is not just waiting for the culmination, of Jesus' second return. It is getting the welcome party ready. And I like that idea. If, if someone important is coming, or someone is coming back to your home who hasn't been there in years, you probably don't want to be there alone, do you? That would be great. I know when uh, the earlier this year in attention, the kids came back, we, we could have, there may have been a slight thought to say, we're just going to pour into ourselves. <clears throat> that would have been fun. But we organized a bit and invited others to be a part of the welcoming back to this place. And maybe when we do that, we start to let our eyes and our minds and our hearts be softened to those who don't know Jesus yet. Because we see our job is in pain. The king is coming back. Don't you want to be a part of the welcoming party? Not just, I can't wait till Jesus gets back and judges them all. I've heard it. I've probably expressed it. I'm kind of looking forward to some of that. But Jesus says, you look. Woe to you cities, he says. <clears throat> For when it comes, it would have been, it's going to be better for Sodom than it would be for you. It would be better for Tyre and Sidon than it would be for you. Some of these cities he talks about are those who were so close to who he was. They saw it and they refused to acknowledge who he was. This is a word of warning to those of us who are close enough to the church, close enough 
to who Jesus is, that we can look at that and say, well, that's okay, but not me. And he's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. 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 Let me wrap up quickly. So that 72 go out. If you are going to be on mission for God, if you're going to live in and be the light in the dark places, you're going to come back and go, wow, I can't believe what happened here. The disciples, the 72 come back and I said, whoa, hey, Jesus, the demons even submit in your name. They, they understood some things. They say in verse 17, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They knew where the power came, but we must guard against pride. Because another tool of the enemy is to get us to think that we know what we're doing. But we never know what we're doing. Truly. We may have an idea. And Jesus corrects them, not because he wants to dampen their, their enthusiasm, not because he wants to dampen their experience, but he wants to make sure that they have their perspective right. And the perspective isn't about them. He goes on to say, I've given you this power, okay? Nothing will harm you. That doesn't mean, as some may think it means, that no troubles will come your way. I mean, if so, sorry, girl, but you must be in bad shape because you have pain in that arm. You know, that's not true. In the end, nothing will harm us because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We, we've sung that in the words of Scripture. But he says, however, do not rejoice the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That we are known by God. And we know that. In the great census of heaven, what matters is not whether spirits submit to you, not whether or not you can heal people or preach great sermons, or not preach great service. It doesn't matter if, if someone uh, led many thousands of people to Christ or led two or three people to Christ. What matters is, is your name and that sense it's out in Christ. But if we keep that a reminder, we guard against pride. The pride that will quickly lead us on a slippery slope of not having compassion of thinking we had something to do with it. And so, in this battle that we all face, we must rejoice in Jesus. Our act of rejoicing is a battle Our act of rejoicing is proclaiming the King is here. The King is alive. You know, though they may thought they were going to do a funeral for Jesus, Jesus had another thing. You know, I'm sure Shannon hates it every time. She'll ask me all the time, and I appreciate it every day. How'd the funeral go? And my response was, there was no resurrection. Well, kind of at the point of the funeral was no resurrection. I'll be honest, uh, if I was there and there was a resurrection, I'm, someone may be doing mine. Okay? You know, I'm going to have a heart attack when I get 40. You know, and that sounds odd, but see, 
There wasn't a resurrection at any of the 36 plus funerals I've done in the past 19 months. Unless there was a resurrection from uh, the, uh, the despair into hope of those who sit there. There was a resurrection once. And the resurrection of Jesus proclaims there is coming another resurrection where we all will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And if we can remember that, we can rejoice today. Regardless of where you may be, we can rejoice because we are on mission for Jesus. Whatever we may do, we can proclaim in word and in deed that Jesus is King. So if there's only one thing I can impress upon you as we engage in this battle, I want to impress upon you the need of prayer. A fervent prayer for the harvest. The harvest of kids in our own church who don't have yet proclaimed Jesus as Lord. But the harvest of those out there. We don't have to guess, is there a harvest? Jesus says there's a harvest. It's plentiful. All you need to call in the harvest. I believe God already knows everybody who's going to be saved. I don't. And I'm not going to close the door on anybody. Okay? I, I believe everyone has a choice. I do believe, as Jesus teaches here, there's going to be some of those who will say, not for me. And I've got to remember, they're not, they're not rejecting me, they're rejecting the king. And I want to impress upon us again as a church. We pray about the harvest. We pray about how we as a church will not grow content with, with the needs of ourselves and the way we've been doing church that we forget that the harvest isn't going to just pop in. We must go. Yeah, we might be like sheep among wolves. We might get bitten. We might get trampled on. But the words of John chapter 10, which you will read in your devotions this week. Jesus says, I have sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. The shepherd, the hired hand is, is not the shepherd, it does not own the sheep. So when a wolf comes, he bans the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he does the hired hand. There's nothing. But he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says again in verse John 10, verses 27 and 28, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. You can't just hear the word of God. You've got to follow Jesus. You've got to do something. It's a full man. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me as greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I don't care how many times a wolf bites my rear end or a sheep bites my rear end. 
I'm in the Father's hands with Father Jesus. And hopefully he'll bind it up back there, pat me gently, and send me back out. For the kingdom of God is too important for us to sit on our rear ends with our wounds. Will you pray for the Lord of the harvest that we will go into the harvest proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. Let us do that now. Father God, we come. Before we do anything else, before we try to use any other weapon that you have equipped us with, before we try to uh, use the word of God, which is the sword of truth, may we first fall on our knees, physically maybe, but always figuratively, Submitting ourselves to you, who is the Lord over all things, that your kingdom is here because of Jesus. The king has already won. The culmination is coming, but my job is to get ready the welcoming party when you come back. So that others will say, There is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. There is the one who is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise, for he saved me. I am known by the king, and my name is on the census books of heaven. Lord, may that be the heartbeat of this church, every church, that we would proclaim the kingdom of God is here because Jesus has come. He's lived. He's died. He has risen again, and he is alive and wept. And that all can be a part of his family. And that when we are in Christ, we are safe and secure, and we can experience life as it is meant to be experienced. And so, Lord, may that be our prayer each and every day. And as we go out, may we have eyes of compassion to see those in our world, to serve them. And then, when we can and as we can, we proclaim the love of Jesus that they are created for a purpose. They are not hopeless and helpless in this world. But Jesus loves them. This they can know. For the Bible will tell them so. And that they would come to believe in Jesus and then understand his truth. May we have our faith enriched in you so that we too may understand who you are this day. And so, Lord, we pray that we would see the hearts and that we would go. That we would have the wisdom of Solomon plus to know what to say, what to do, how to serve, how to love, and when to proclaim that Jesus is Lord this day and always. We thank you for this. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the Lord of the hearts. Amen. Will you stand?